May I speak to you in the name of the one holy and triune God. Amen. All right. It might be a little early in the morning for this question, and I never thought that I would ask this from the pulpit, so you're going to need to bear with me. But has anyone here ever watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians? This is a safe place. You can say yes. Lest I fool you with my references to Ariana Grande and Keeping Up with the Kardashians in sermons, I'm actually not that well-versed on pop culture. I've only seen one episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians in my life. Several years ago, I was with a bunch of friends who, for a period of time, actually enjoyed watching this show. I was over at one of their apartments, and they suggested that we watch the weekly episode. At the end of the show, my mouth still agape with confusion, I said to one of my friends, why do you like this? I don't, I don't get it. And one of them responded, honestly, this show is absurd. I know that. But when I watch how ridiculous these people are, I honestly feel a lot better about myself. (laughs) It makes me feel like I'm a really morally upstanding person. (laughs) The gospel, (laughs) all right, pause. The Gospel of Mark is probably my favorite gospel account. And one of the reasons I love Mark so much is because of the disciples. You've probably heard me say before that I love gospel stories where I can relate to the disciples, where they're sort of like a bunch of goofy idiots rather than these paragons of faithfulness. And in the Gospel of Mark, the 12 disciples fail a lot. They fail three times to understand Jesus's predictions of his own suffering. They argue about which one of them will hold the place of honor in the kingdom. They fall asleep on Jesus. They let him down in Gethsemane, and eventually they desert him and flee. Three times Peter denies any knowledge of Jesus, just as Jesus is acknowledging his own divine status before the high priest. In the Gospel of Mark, the disciples mess up in disastrous ways, more than in any other Gospel account. And in the Gospel of Mark, this becomes a brilliant rhetorical device. Imagine you're a first century Gentile listening to Mark's portrayal of the disciples. When you hear about these consecutive failures, your response is to think, Ah, these fools, they are not the real disciples. I am the real disciple. It's sort of like my friends who enjoy watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. When I ask them why they like the show, they say, honestly, it makes me feel a lot better about my life. Because of their ethical failures, I feel like a moral exemplar even when I don't always make the best choices myself. And I feel like that's what Mark is doing. He portrays the disciples as a group who can't always get it right, 
so that it empowers the listening community to go out and live their faith with confidence. The person hearing the story sees something that the disciples fail to see. Each of the gospel writers was writing to a particular community. And who Mark was actually writing to has been the subject of much debate. Scholars don't know whether they were Gentiles in Rome or in Galilee or Syria. But what we do know is that Mark was writing for a community right around the time of the destruction of the temple. So in our gospel passage for today, Jesus has come out of the temple and the disciples turn and point to that magnificent structure and say, isn't it all beautiful? What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus proceeds to predict its destruction. If you were a first century Gentile listening to this story, you would have already known that the temple was destroyed. You knew something that the disciples didn't know. Whatever Jesus' predictions are supposed to suggest, you've already experienced firsthand. And so this story, like most of Mark's portrayals of the disciples, is supposed to be empowering to those listening to it. The disciples fail to trust. They fail to see. They fail to understand. But the author of the gospel says, but you, you see in a way that they cannot. You understand in a way that they fail to. And most importantly, you trust in a way that they struggle to. You are capable of radical trust in Christ and radical hope in God. Now, here is where I can run into some problems with this passage. Precisely the thing that is supposed to be empowering to Mark's community can actually make me feel really helpless. Jesus said to them, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but this is just the beginning of the birth pangs. This is just the beginning of the birth pangs? Even if I see what Mark, the author, is trying to do in a form of storytelling, I can't help but wonder, as a Christian and as a disciple, how can so much death lead to life? How can war and earthquakes and famines be just the beginning of the birth pangs? Are they not just the birth pangs themselves? Just like the first century Gentiles hearing this story for the first time, I already know that the temple was destroyed. But when I'm listening to this story, I don't necessarily immediately feel empowered. How can war, earthquakes, and famines be just the beginning of the birth pangs? Are they not just the birth pangs themselves? Now, I don't actually want to compare the author of Mark to the creators of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. 
But I think that Mark, I don't think that Mark is actually trying to just make you feel better about yourself, to make you feel like you're the best disciple in the world, that you know something the disciples don't know about faith. Because Mark's gospel is really about trust. Trust in yourself, trust in Christ, and trust in God. If we picture that first century Gentile listening to this story, sure, they knew about the destruction of the temple. They knew something that the disciples in the story didn't know. But they were still utterly terrified. The destruction of the temple signaled the end of religious life as they knew it. And Mark was trying to empower his community because they felt hopeless about the future. And in the midst of that fear, Mark invites his listeners to radical trust in God. He empowers his audience to trust in themselves, to trust in Christ, to trust in God. And Mark is inviting you to the same thing, to radical trust in yourself as a disciple and to trust in Jesus and in God. If you take anything away from this sermon, please don't let it be that Meg saw one episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. If you take one thing away from this sermon, let it be the good news, that you are capable of radical trust in Christ and radical hope in God, even in the midst of destruction even when you are afraid. I've watched this community do it. Because we know that, as with all things in our life as Christians, destruction is not the end of the story. Amen.